Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Oh, welcome back, one and all, to another fantabulous episode of the Pause Reviews Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by my trusty sidekick, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about being called a sidekick, Tim? Eh, you know, I mean, you do all the work, so... I yeah, mean, I guess I that's true. Take, you know, I still I, I still feel like I would feel, like, against it. <laughs> I, I, I apologize, Tim. I feel terrible now. You know, if I if if there was like equal distribution of duties here, then you know, like I felt like I was carrying the pack up the hill and being called the sidekick, then maybe I'd have a problem with it. But like like know. Kevin Hart and Jumanji. Yeah, right. I'm 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 not the uh, you're not the backpack guy. I'm not the backpack guy. <laughs> uh, great callback. Um, all right, guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. So this week is another deep dive. So we're going to talk about one movie and one movie alone. And this one is one that you guys voted on. You guys chose. And we thank you so much for that uh, on many levels. Number one, thanks for engaging with our content. It's so much fun when you guys yeah. do that. But also because this movie rocks. And I was so excited to watch it uh, again. Actually, I'd seen it once before. So, yeah, we are talking this week about... Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman. I'm stoked. Let's just yeah. dive in. Let's just dive in. Yeah. I don't think we need to talk about anything else. Let's nope. just get into nope. it. As always, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this yet, and, and this is a true spoiler alert because this one did not come out all that long ago, so it's absolutely feasible that people haven't seen it yet. Although, if you listen to this podcast, we told you about it, so you should have watched it. Yeah, you had time. You had time. <laughs> Uh, where can you watch it? So this one, because it is still so new, it is only available for renting and purchasing. Um, so, and you can do that wherever you get your movies. Me personally, I tend to get all my stuff from Amazon Prime Video, which they are currently um, they currently have the movie on sale. So you can actually buy this movie in HD for nine ninety nine, which is, in my opinion, hands down worth it. Don't yeah, spend sure. you know a ton to rent it because. If you like Guy Ritchie, like vintage Guy Ritchie, you will enjoy this movie, and it's absolutely worth a buy. But we'll get into more yeah. of that later. I, I would definitely agree with that. For I think I rented it for like five bucks on Apple TV, and I would gladly have paid four extra dollars and and had. I think it might have been nine ninety nine, maybe in iTunes or something like that. But so that might be like no, across it, the board. It, yeah, it might have been higher than that. Now, if I think about it, but. Um, I think I would have absolutely paid to have it in my Apple library. I don't have much in there, but I, this would definitely be one that I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll watch it for sure. I, it's right? definitely, if you're, if you're going to rent it for $5.99, just pony up the extra $4. Pay the, yeah, just pay the 10 bucks and get it. Okay, so The Gentleman was released in January of 2020 in the States. So that's when we could have seen it. It was written and directed by Guy Ritchie, who, you know, he's done films like Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr., King Arthur Legend of the Sword, which also had Charlie Hunnam. And, mm -hmm. and then he also did Aladdin, the new live-action Aladdin Disney movie. This movie, this movie was budgeted at about $22 million and brought in a worldwide gross of just shy of $115, $115 million. 
you know, so if you kind of use our system, it's technically a success, but it's still very much seen as, as a bit of a commercial flop, which is which yeah. is surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, definitely, because I think I know that I saw marketing for this around um, either on TV, maybe in the movie theaters, because I think I saw two movies post January, maybe. Although that would have only been two months before most movie theaters shut down. So yeah. uh, it's probably more likely that I saw it somewhere, you know, add on YouTube or, or on TV or something. But I definitely saw it. I definitely, when Matthew McConaughey started giving some of his soliloquies in there, I definitely remember those snippets from the TV campaigns or the ad campaigns that I saw. They definitely put in money on advertising on this one. And I think it is interesting. You know, it's it's surprising that it didn't do as well because a movie like this in January when there's not a lot coming out would probably draw people in droves. However, that being said, this is at the front end of the pandemic hitting the states. You know, we're obviously watching things happen in China. Mm-hmm. And so, which, you know, that would massively affect the worldwide gross. China's a huge yeah, sure. movie going population. So that, I'm sure, hit hit things, you know, a bit. And and the fact that we were starting to peter out on on going to functions, things like that. But, you know, it's it's so hard to tell. Would this have done better? I don't know. You know, I think Guy Ritchie has kind of lost a little bit of trust in the public eye in recent years. You know, there hasn't been sort of the standard that we all had with Snatch and Lockstock. And and so, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe that kept people away. But I remember the trailers looking fantastic, and I wanted to see it, but I myself didn't make it out. So I'm sure that yeah. was kind of the case with everybody. That being said, as soon as it came out, I was all over this. So I mean, it's also, we'll, you know, we'll run down the cast here in a second, but I mean, I feel like there's also that person in the movie where you're like, Oh, I love that guy. I want to see that movie because there's yeah. enough a list names and even the high B list people in this movie that you're like, Oh, I love that guy. I want to see him in X. So, you know, whether it's, you know, Matthew McConaughey or, or down the line, um, I definitely think there's draw to this movie. So it is, it is definitely a little surprising that it didn't make more than that for sure. Yeah, I agree. I, and I, so talking about the cast, you know, headlined with Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam. So Matthew McConaughey plays sort of your, your lead, um, baddie protagonist, <laughs> right? Like, you know, yeah. in a room full of bads, he's the <laughs> good guy. Um, so Michael or Mickey Pearson in the movie, Charlie Hunnam is his right hand man. He plays Ray, uh, Michelle Dockery, who we will talk about her later on. I am becoming a big, big fan of Michelle Dockery. Uh, She plays Matthew McConaughey's wife in the movie, Roz Pearson. Hugh Grant is a scene stealer. Uh, He plays this private eye Fletcher. Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians. He plays Dry Eye, Colin Farrell. Uh, Jeremy Strong, Eddie Marson, you know, lots and lots and lots of names. And if you don't know them off the bat, it's a lot of people that the second you see them, oh, I know that guy. Or, oh, I've yeah. seen that person in X, Y, or Z. Which is pretty standard for a Guy Ritchie movie, especially with British actors. You're going to see mm-hmm. a lot of faces that you kind of recognize and have seen previously in his other things. I really just want to say how much I really enjoy Henry Golding's character's name of dry eye (laughs) because 
they never explain it. It's never, you're just like, this guy's name is, everybody knows him as Dry Eye. And that's it. Like, so I made up my own backstory that it's because he's never cried over anything or something like that. Like, yeah. that's just. He's like, got really bad allergies. <laughs> right. It's just, it's such a unique nickname that obviously there's a reason for it. And every time he was on and every, and they all just matter of fact, talk about him. They're like, Oh yeah, dry eye. And it's like, yeah, but why, why is this? I just, I, I thought that was great. I it, means absolutely nothing but i just love the fact that they're having all these serious conversations about this guy named dry eye and it's just it was great <laughs> it is true the gentleman a synopsis okay let me see if i can wing this a little bit so matthew mcconaughey is our lead and i say that in parentheses just because i think hugh grant's character fletcher gives a run for the money he's kind of our narrator he takes us through the story but yeah Basically, Matthew McConaughey plays a marijuana kingpin, uh, an American expat in England who, you know, he went there for college. He gets a Rhodes Scholarship. He goes there and stays and just builds this marijuana empire in the UK. And he does it in this really creative way, makes a fortune and is now looking to retire quietly into the sunset with his beautiful wife Roz and is trying to sell his empire to someone who can continue it and ride it into legalization and and turn it into a legitimate company the reason he won't do it is because and obviously to build it he's lived that gangster life and so uh you know he feels like he can never bring legitimacy to this empire um so he's happy to cash out now and, and settle off Upon hearing this news, people are coming out of the woodworks to either take it from him, ruin him, bust him, whatever. There's a couple of lines, storylines, that we follow through the course of this as they sort of tangle and weave into Matthew McConaughey trying to get out of this business. I don't know. That kind of sums it up, right? Yeah, that's pretty much the, I think, the synopsis as it exists on the preview page on Apple, <laughs> Apple TV. Nailed so. it. You hear that, Apple? Hire me to write your previews. <laughs> um, okay, so all that being said, let's just jump into overall opinion. I will lead it off. I, and I've said it already, I loved this movie. I had a blast with this one. You know what it is? I was a fan of Guy Ritchie's really early on. Like I said, I caught Lock, Stock, and Snatch. Like, I remember when Snatch came out, I watched it, and I kind of caught up on Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which preceded it. They're essentially the same movie, you know, with some subtle differences. I feel like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is his, like, UK indie, and then Snatch was sort of his mainstream, wider release version of Lockstock. You know, it still had Jason Statham and a few of the characters. So mm-hmm. anyways, it is. it, it was a familiar uh, transition, but they were amazing. And the thing about Guy Ritchie, you know, this movie in specifically, it, it felt like, I don't know, tell me if you know this feeling, Tim. It felt like when you have like an old friend, you made a friend when you were kids, you were friends for a long time, many, many years, you know, but all of a sudden time has passed, they've moved on, they maybe they've moved, they've gone somewhere, whatever it is. And you've met up here and there in the years. Yeah, maybe it seemed like, I don't know, you just didn't have anything in common anymore. You still force yourself to make an effort and visit them when you can and hang out, but you you just don't find yourself in the same place. And, and you kind of start to ask questions like, you know, are we even still friends? You know, why do we even hang out anymore? 
Um, mm-hmm. And so you kind of begin to move on with your life. Maybe you foster and develop new and different relationships with other directors. I mean, friends. And and you start <laughs> spending time with their movies. I mean, you know, those people. You know, but then suddenly one day that friend comes back and seems a lot more like that same person you became friends with all those years ago. Right? And, you know, sure, they're not completely the same. I mean, we all grow up. You've both grown up. But the essence of the person you remembered is there. And suddenly it's really enjoyable spending time with them again. And that is how this movie made me feel inside. Right? Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. Guy Ritchie, he, you know, Snatch and his direction and writing was that friend that I fell in love with when I was a kid. And then he just started making the most random garbage. Right. And then even when his movie started to get a little bit good again, you know, Sherlock Holmes, maybe even Aladdin was fine. It was fun, especially in the context of the Disney live actions. It's one of the better ones, but it's not snatch. It's not Lockstock. It's different. And, and I just didn't recognize him anymore. And because I loved Snatch so much, I would go see, every, I would see Revolver, I would see Rock and Rolla, I would see all these movies, you know, and he even gets away. Like, I love when directors kind of use that same cast of characters, mm-hmm. not so much the characters, but the actors, you yeah. know, and, and they just develop that rapport, they know how to work together. And you kind of thought Jason Statham was going to follow him for a long, long time. And then all of a sudden, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's just different. <laughs> this movie almost feels like a coming home. This movie is so similar in tone, pacing, and, and just the general kind of premise to a movie like Snatch that it just immediately was fun. And, and not just because the movie's so good, but because it reminded me of how much I liked Guy Ritchie. And, and it reminded me of the movies that I loved when I first started watching his stuff and that he had gotten away from for so, so long. And, yeah. and even when he tried it, I don't know, it just, it wasn't, it just wasn't, it hasn't been on point for a long time. I am not saying this movie is as good as Snatch by any stretch of the imagination or Lockstock, but it's in the same vein, 100%. And if you enjoy those movies, you will enjoy this one. If for no other reason, then it will be, I don't know. It just, it feels like he's back. And that immediately put a smile on my face and made me enjoy this movie out the gate. Yeah, that analogy makes perfect sense. I agree wholeheartedly. Just on the fact that I loved it. I mean, it. what I really took from it was the apt naming of the movie. Mm. It really is a movie about gentleman gangsters, especially coming from, a uh, you know, like an American idea of a gangster or an outlaw. And this is perfectly embodied by Charlie Hunnam and SOA, Sons of Anarchy versus this, right? Having him in these two things. Oh, interesting. Um, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, it's really fascinating because you have this kind of, you know, the shoot first, ask questions later, American gangster just gonna, you know, body count. And the opposite in this movie where these there's, you know, there is a, uh, a decorum, there is a relationship, there is a rapport between all of the, the, the people in this movie. There, there is a way that things are approached and violence is always sort of what seems to be the last resort, right? Um, so it's just, it's really suave and even polite <laughs> in a while, but, but, yeah. but still being a vicious gangster movie. I mean, right away, 
when you meet Charlie Hunnam's character, he has this man like mansion. It's a beautiful home. It's like sure right. he's rich, but it's tasteful and it's like you know a, a very uh, cultured man's living space it's not you know just the latest and greatest that he's bought with all of his money it's a very refined looking place he's got 1500 pound scotch and he's got bottles and bottles of it so he's a very refined person but the, the characters all embody this idea of being gentlemen and again really only turn to bloodshed as not their go-to option but you absolutely believe that they are super dangerous people that try and talk through situations as best they can to avoid that taking that extra step. But it's just, I mean, the whole thing is they're just so gentlemanly about all of it. You know, they want to talk first, talk it out, and then they will break down and, and, and you know, pull out the weaponry if they need they need to. Well, and it's, it's funny too. Oh, sorry. It's funny no. how that extends. Also, I mean, it's vulgar in some language and things like that, which I don't know. Somehow you you kind of come to expect from a British film, but it it's a lot of implied violence, implied blood. You don't see a lot of it. So even mm-hmm. even the film itself is, you know, courteous. I guess in that way. Yeah. But it makes it enjoyable by a larger swatch of people. You know, yeah. it's not just over the top gruesome like a. I feel like if Tarantino made this movie, there would just be globs of fake blood all over the place, yeah. you know, just for that shock value. Whereas right. this allows you to kind of paint that picture for yourself. It's it's a far more cerebral kind of a gangster movie. It's it's like the if the Kingsmen were mobsters. It's yeah, like exactly. It, it's it's really interesting, and that comes across in so many ways. Exact. I love how you put it. And everybody is everyone is very smart, right? Like very smart. It, it is it is obvious that this is a business, right? Right. Um, but even just down to the fact that like the way that Matthew McConaughey's Mickey, I approaches all of his business is he's very he's very nice about a lot of it like i mean he there's he goes on this whole um point where he's talking to one of the other drug lords uh lord george who runs uh the heroin and kind of the more addictive drug trade and he explains why he's never made that jump why he's always dealt in high end marijuana he's like because I don't want to kill people. He's like, I don't want my product to kill people. I don't need that. He's like, you can enjoy yourself. You can, you know, smoke a bunch of my high grade, awesome weed and no one's going to die. And I don't have to feel bad about the way I make my money because I'm not killing people to make my money. By that, he means not killing people with the product that he makes. Well, and that's, I mean, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but it also endears, like it's, it's exactly why we can endear ourselves to essentially a villain. It's, it's a room full of villains, but Matthew McConaughey is kind of the shiniest turd. And so we can easily accept him as the good guy. And in in, in that scene in particular, I love how he puts it, where he's just like, you know, my stuff, he's talking about vices, right? And he's like, my vice is chill and mellow and you can enjoy it. He goes, whereas yours has always been the destroyer of worlds. Mm -hmm. And you can see how he, it even elevates him further because you know, maybe he would make more slinging heroin, but he looks down on them. 
you know, yeah. but yet he is not hurting, right? As we get mm-hmm. into a little bit more of the story, we see like he is I mean, I don't know. Like you want to be him even yeah. though he's the bad. And right. and it's true cuz he's a gentleman. He's he's classy. Yeah. And jumping back to the Charlie Hunnam idea too, which again is just one of the things that I really liked about it cuz it was nice to see him in this gangster role again, but mm. be this opposite end of it, right? As I mentioned, to see him in this in this scene where they are confronting uh, a bunch of heroin addicts in uh, what the projects essentially right they are sent to rescue a daughter of a, a lord I, I believe it was a lord yeah who she's gone missing um and and uh, matthew mcconaughey's mickey is asked by the family to to bring her home and you know charlie hunnam's ray they go in there with their their bodyguards uh, one of them who i think is named big bunny is that correct yeah yeah i love this guy Again, big bunny the is nicknames. Awesome. yeah it's great um and they go in and it's a really kind of pleasant i mean it's you know it, it, he talks to them explains them he's cursing them out the whole time but it never again going back to the language thing never feels you know, it's it's still kind of polite, even though he's using some heavy words, and maybe that's just the the British accent. But they could have gone in there, knocked the four the three guys out, and dragged the girl out by her hair, and it would have accomplished the same thing, even maybe with a little less <laughs> uh, dramatics than actually what happens. But they try and talk it out, and you know, it's not until they are pushed to the point of like, all right, we have to crack crack some skulls a little bit, but. You know, they don't necessarily bust in the door until they had to. And, like, they try to take the higher road the whole time and, again, only resort to that that violence if need to, which is different than, you know, the Charlie Hunnam and Sons of Anarchy, where it's like, kick in the door, shoot everybody we don't need, and, you know, take the one person that we do. Um, so it's really it's really just kind of cool to, to see it play out that way. It adds to that intrigue of, like, all right, we know these guys are all badasses but they're not going to be badasses off the bat. So it adds a little bit of like, ooh, ooh, they're giving you chances here. They're giving you chances to do this the easy way. But we know that if you don't, things are going to go wrong. So I just, it was, it's a lot of fun. It's it's cerebral in parts, um, but I think you're spot on with the, the Kingsman running drugs kind of idea. It, it feels a lot like that for it, sure. Yeah, it really does. And you know what's interesting too? I think this film is a real testament to where you don't have to be in your face like smashing skulls, blood splatter to be badass and to be intimidating. What's fascinating is, is that this movie is sort of a masterclass in what real intimidation looks like. Yeah. Right. There's the premise of the guy who comes in beating his chest, yelling and screaming is probably the one who's going to get his face caved in because, you know, they're trying to win the mental game so they don't have to get in there physically. There's something yeah. about the quiet burn of someone just so confident that they can walk into your, you know, house and just sit down, roll a cigarette, have a conversation, because it doesn't matter what's going to happen. They're going to come out on top. He's not yeah. slightly concerned or worried in the littlest bit. And so, 
And that permeates the entire film through Absolutely. all the characters in McConaughey's, you know, uh, gang where, yep. you know, and, and that's that is so juxtaposed by the characters in the in the Asian cartels or the other whatever it is, where it's all smash mouth, big talk, lots of yelling, lots of shooting. And then you've got McConaughey just kind of breezing through and Ray breezing through and just never really all that worried. It's so much more intimidating. And that tension is palpable from minute one when you're meeting these characters yeah. and and it carries you through. And, and so there's never a question in your mind that they aren't the biggest, baddest dudes on the block. All they do to show you that is be gentlemen throughout. Right. And it's right. fascinating. It's a fascinating yeah. treatment of these characters and it makes it so much fun. 100%. A little bit off topic, and we've already kind of started, but let's dive in deep into kind of what makes this movie and what we liked and maybe didn't like about it, and just kind of get into a few more of the details. Let's start off with this sort of, this approach that we've seen in recent films, and and it's kind of here. This movie, on top of everything else, is also a love letter to film. The person who guides us through this story is a character named Fletcher, who is brilliantly played by Hugh Grant. Um, mm-hmm. This is not your mother's Hugh Grant. This is nope. not rom-com Hugh Grant. He plays like this gay, cockney, private eye who's just real in your face, really abrasive, kind of skeezy and gross. Um, yeah. But all of that just somehow makes for this... <laughs> really lovable character yeah absolutely so the movie opens up with charlie hunnam coming home to his beautiful mansion and finding fletcher there fletcher like i said is a private eye who's been hired by a uh i want to say like a print editor like a newspaper editor a tabloid editor yeah he's like a He's like an investigative journalist, maybe more than a private eye. To like, I don't. And I got the. Sense, I don't know if I'm remembering it right, but I feel like someone kind of referred to him as running a tabloid. So yeah. it's also not like credible journalism. It's just kind of skeezball journalism. So of course, yeah, and, and the only gangster not in the movie somehow feels even grosser. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like I mean his boss who plays a, a, a kind of a big, well, is kind of a driving force for a lot of the action, even doesn't uh, take him seriously. Like, he's right. just kind of, he's, and, and we get the sense that Fletcher has a reputation for just, you know, thinking he's hot shit, but he's garbage. Like, yeah, kind of equally just, gross. Yeah, They're nobody, both these bottom feeder, private yeah. eye, tabloidy type yeah. people. So, so Eddie Marsden plays the character's name is Big Dave, this editor, and the, we we get a flashback where they're at a, he's at a party and Mickey is there, and Eddie Marsden printed something about oh so this is kind of important. We find out and we already gave the spoiler alerts. So how does Mickey build this empire? How does he grow all this weed without being caught, without it being found? His approach is kind of brilliant. And again, there's just these little things where you're just like, I could totally see that. Like, how does that not happen? His whole approach, he went to Oxford, and he's a poor Kentucky boy, right? Like, a grew up from nothing, trailer park American, who, which is, it's interesting to see how they 
see us. But then, right. you know, he comes to the UK and suddenly he's at Oxford with all these high class nobles, lords, kids, whatever. And, and they're buying weed just like anybody else. So what he does is he figures out that as these lords inherit these properties, Downton Abbey style, the upkeep on these properties is exorbitant. And, and as people die and have squandered fortunes and, and done whatever they've done, they find themselves in worse off shape than you would expect a lord to be. And so his approach is he gives a percentage, he pays them annually, big, big bucks, so they can maintain their lifestyle and their homes and whatever. And in exchange, he does these subterranean weed growing farms on their properties and so in a, in a country where there's not a lot of land and pretty much all the land is public if you can go onto these private estates and get underground that's how he's built this empire right yep. so he's at this party of one of the lords and this editor had written something about one of his lords that he wasn't too fond of and he's very protective of his guys He's a gentleman. And so when the guy reaches out, he won't shake his hand. He snubs him. He insults him, whatever the, not with words, but just with his classy actions. Um, and Big Dave ain't having it because he's got major Napoleon complex. Oh, yeah. And is livid by it. And so his mission is to ruin him and bring him down, right? Enter Fletcher. So Big Dave hires Fletcher to gather dirt on Mickey that he can use to lock him up. And. So Fletcher has found this dirt and is now trying to play both sides of the field. So Big Dave is going to pay Fletcher 150 grand, but Fletcher thinks he has stumbled across some major activity, right? About people scheming to steal Mickey's fortunes, Mickey's empire, all this kind of stuff, and he's trying to sell the information instead to Mickey for 20 million. Yep. And so everything that happens in this movie we are seeing through the lens of Fletcher. He is yeah. telling the story based on the, the intel he's gathered, the footage he's captured, all this kind of stuff. And he's telling the story to Charlie Hunnam, Ray. Mm -hmm. Now, what's double interesting is he's doing this through the context of a movie. He's even written this in the time he's been investigating Mickey. He's already written it as a screenplay. And, and the whole opening, he's like, picture this, 70 millimeter, real film, grain in the picture, all this, right? And so yeah. he's, he is telling the story cinematically while we are watching the movie cinematically. Yeah. And, and I loved this, mainly because this is kind of how I see life anyway. When I see things playing out. Something's funny because I can like picture it as like a sitcom or I see it playing out how it would on a show. That's just how my brain works. So I immediately connected to Fletcher because this is how his brain works. <laughs> right, this is how yeah. a movie fan's brain works. This is why I do what I do, why we do what we do, you know? Yeah. Um, that being said, it's a really cool dynamic and I love it, but it's also... <clears throat> In the shadow of a movie like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and these mm. other films that have come out recently that are these like major love letters, not just to film, but to, to Hollywood and to to, to filmmaking. And, and, and I don't know, it, it pales a bit. And so it's I think if this movie had come out first, it would have been like, wow, this was such a cool dynamic here. It's a fun and interesting dynamic. Yeah. But it also kind of stands out as is kind of like a poor man's tarantino to an extent yeah. 
I I really did enjoy the framing of this um, and thinking more, you know, thinking back more on it. You know, we mentioned earlier the the scene where um, Ray is in the projects with the you know these these um, heroin addicts and he you know they break into their apartment and kind of have a conversation with them and they have that idea of like you know that that cerebral like I'm a badass I know I can get out of this situation I know I'm walking out of this right right and the minute you realize that in this situation when he walks into his own home and there's somebody there you know comes out of the shadows Fletcher comes out of the shadows you're like oh wow but he's not scared and not you quickly even for realize, a second you quickly realize why it's because this man is not threatening and if fletcher comes in and he's got all of this evidence right as as we he's going to tell you this story he's got evidence to back up all of the gaps that he has filled in right all the stuff that he has kind of fleshed out in his script and you get the sense that maybe they've sort of done this before. This isn't the first time. This is just the most money that he's ever asked for. And this seems to be old hat. Like, they, they kind of know that he's going to come around. And Ray's not threatened by him. He's not worried about it. He doesn't pose any sort of danger to him. And he lets him explain himself. And he lets him, you know, discuss and plan everything out. And it's almost like he's, you know, Fletcher's using Ray as a workshop partner. He's bouncing off these ideas and these storylines off of him. Um, but also, he's doing that at the same time as he's trying to extort them. Because he thinks he's finally got them. Like like I said, it's, it feels like they've been down this road before. But Fletcher feels like, this time, I've got you. I've got you guys in a corner. You're going to have to pay me my millions. And... You know, I, I, I'm golden this time. But the whole time you're watching him bounce these ideas off of Ray and Ray's like, oh, that's, you know, that's cute. That, that's really cute. You're filling in these gaps. But the framing also serves kind of that idea that we talked about before where we don't see their necessarily see the gratuitous violence. Right. There is one scene where um, Fletcher is telling Ray what he thinks happened in a meeting between dry eye and mickey and fletcher has it completely sensationalized to the point where mickey just pulls out a gun he shoots uh dry eyes bodyguard uh, after shooting dry eye under the table like what we assume is in the crotch and as dry eyes like crawling away from mickey at an overturned table mickey's going on this like diatribe about you know this is after the lion line but still in that vein and then just you know puts two more in them to end it and you're like that seems a little out of character right and he cut back to ray and fletcher and ray's like nah yeah, you you're, know you're that's not how mickey does that's, things yeah, yeah. exactly uh, but that's that sensationalized you know that that he that mickey has built this reputation on right and he doesn't need that violence because people believe he's capable of this but just this whole idea that you know fletcher is workshopping this screenplay on mickey's right hand man while also extorting him by telling him this story it was just a really fascinating way to play out most of this movie up you know to the the present it's such a fascinating dynamic and i love that you bring up that moment because that line in that moment beautifully allows you as the viewer to suddenly you don't you can't fully trust everything in this movie 
anymore because you don't know what's real. You don't know what's exaggerated. You don't know what's just Fletcher's musings, right? But here's what you also do know is that Matthew McConaughey, when he's kind of talking and saying things, when, when he's talking about selling the empire and asked why, if this is on the, you know, on the, on the brink of becoming a multi-billion dollar industry for him that's fully legal why wouldn't he just keep it and his answer is is that to build this empire i've had to get blood on my hands and so i could never be the face of this no one would trust me no one would give me legitimacy mm-hmm. and so you know he's had to do things but the extent at which he's done things you can't be fully sure because the one thing you've seen him be real gangster in we now know is not exactly how it had played out. Yeah. And But on top of all that, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. We don't have to see it. It doesn't yeah. even have to be true. The only thing that matters is that people believe that the lion is capable of doing these things. The yeah. reputation is everything. And, yep. and, and again, when that reputation precedes you and you walk into a room quiet, cool, and collected, everyone's like, why is he so calm? There is nothing that puts people on edge more than someone walking into what would normally be seen as a high tension, high stress situation, totally unfazed. Why is he calm? What does he know? What can he do? And that, like I said, it just, it trickles through every piece of this movie. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about Matthew McConaughey and we've talked a lot about Hugh Grant. And that's the next thing that I really like about this movie. This movie has two leads, right? Fletcher and Mickey, McConaughey and Grant. And, but at the same time, there's really one real star. So Matthew McConaughey once again brings another stellar performance as he has been doing so often in these recent years. We've talked about the, you know, McConaissance and all this other kind of stuff that started maybe with mud, right? Like in the mid 2000s, True Detective, Mm -hmm. Dallas Buyers, like where he just, he really started bringing some real skill. And it's true here. He's so charismatic. You love him immediately. We've talked about how you're on his side despite the horrific things he's done it's such a testament to how good the character development is in this movie yeah and like i said before i just i really you like him from the minute this movie started um and he just he does embody a gentleman <laughs> as we've mentioned and it is just fun that this is a, a, a weed movie you know like it's yeah. there's there's not so it's not what you would have expected you would have expected heroin or you know high um you know higher value product um to be such a, a gangster type movie um but i just i love that he chose to you know the, they chose for him to be a weed dealer it just it fits that character but also it's sort of like an interesting nod back to some of his earlier characters like the the dazed and confused kind of matthew mcconaughey like stoner matthew mcconaughey but now he's like he's just a brilliant businessman on top of selling his, his weed and it's like i'm not even sure i think he even says he doesn't necessarily use it himself i think he has other right. people test it out um but it just he really does embody this character and from you know this the scene that you're talking about earlier where you know he's a a trailer park guy out in the midwest like he might as well be an englishman like he is you know he is english through and through by the point uh, of this movie and he's just plays it perfectly absolutely perfect and 
to pull off the business the way he does, which a big part of this is rubbing elbows with the elite, he has to be, a, 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 you know, an elite right. himself. He has to fit into this society to work the way that he does, to be received into these manners and these black tie affairs and not feel out of place especially in british high society as an american like there's you know there's just a an air that that you have to play as this character and he just he nails it for sure absolutely he's not your typical pineapple express type weed dealer weed tycoon or whatever the situation is and he's not a gross gangster he can be at these high class parties rubbing elbows with big name people that's how he extends his you're so right you're absolutely right and it and it comes through but on top of that hugh grant is the real star he has been on another level in recent years and and absolutely is in this movie he is hilarious he's disgusting he's so off the wall different from anything that you would automatically assume he would be in a film it catches you off guard and you are immediately thrilled he's spectacular in this catching you off guard is the perfect way to put it because the minute he opens his mouth you you I was shocked. <laughs> right? You know, you, you think you know when you see Hugh Grant, you you know what you're getting. He's got yeah, this the very... posh romance yeah, Englishman. Exactly. And he has got the most offensive British accent in this movie. It's like... And to hear Hugh Grant do another accent is, I mean, it's even when he... Even if he's supposed to be American or Americanized, he's still got that posh British accent miss to him right and he has this you know dirty english accent he the dark glasses he looks like the tabloid writer that he is and i just wanted him on scene uh, on screen all of the time and everything he does is offensive you know he drinks the scotch that that the the 1500 pound scotch he makes charlie hunnam uh, grill him up a wagyu steak at you know midnight however late this is he's his language sleazy yeah it's sleazy and awful um and he is so smug the whole time because again as i mentioned before he he thinks he has Mickey and Ray and their whole operation over a barrel at this point. He, he might as well have the, the, the millions in his bank already because he's so sure that he's got all this right. And even if not, he's got a killer script that he's going to go sell to Hollywood and he's going to make bank. So he's sure he's coming out of this with a lot more money than he currently has. And that just makes his downfall so much better. And you just love every second that Hugh Grant is playing this character because it's so un-Hugh Grant that it's just, it's it's amazing. <laughs> well, and there's two quick things. Number one, the character itself is, is fascinating. It reminded me, when I was watching it, it reminded me of The Dark Knight, right? When there's that guy who works in Wayne Enterprises and figures out, like, the money spent in R&D and things disappearing, and he goes into Lucius Fox's office and he says, I want $10 million every year for the rest of my life or i'm going to the cops or whatever and lucius fox's response is so let me get this straight you think your boss the richest man in the world spends his nights as a crime fighter and so your job is to blackmail this person you know and it's and that's the same thing like 
Who is Fletcher? How deranged and gross is he that he can walk into... He's walking into Charlie Hunnam's house, Ray's house, with all the evidence of... That that these men have slaughtered people to right. further their empire, protect their to protect themselves, protect their empire, and he's so just blindly confident that he has them that he can walk in there and make any kind of demand. Like yeah. they make they make people bigger than you disappear every day. Right. Like who are right. you? And so right. th- the whole premise is based on that, which immediately is hilarious. Because from jump, you're just like, you're going to end up in that freezer. Like, we all know it. Like, who are you? I will say to Hugh Hugh Grant, um, not only is it the abrasiveness of his character and just how, how outlandish it is. It's also how good he is in the subtle moments. There's a, my favorite scene. There's a scene where he and Charlie Hunnam are sitting on a chair or on the couch, and Hugh Grant's telling this part of the story. They finish watching the the clip that, of the evidence oh, that God. he's showing, and he just <laughs> casually puts his hand on Charlie Hunnam's leg, and then it just kind of lingers there. And they're kind of he's just looking off in the distance. Charlie Hunnam's staring at him. He looks at Charlie Hunnam takes it off you know but it's it's these subtlety moments where so much by all of these characters so much is said without them saying a word it's fantastic acting top to bottom to continue down that path not only do you have these big time leads that are just crushing it you have this amazing supporting cast of characters that is perfectly cast portrayed by such mm-hmm. talented actors um and it just really brings it home i want us we we've talked about charlie hunnam i really want to dive into uh michelle dockery mm-hmm. i can't say enough about her to be honest i mean i watched out Abbey in the early seasons i hated her character and, and by extension i did not like her very much I, I found her grating and annoying, and it just really bothered me. Um, and, and to be honest, I never really expected much from her after Downton Abbey. Like, I just figured once this ended, this was going to be her jam, and, sure. and we'd never have to watch her again. Then I saw Godless on Netflix, and now I've seen this, and this woman is fire. She yeah. is amazing. She is such a powerful actor. And so good in everything I've seen since then. I would I would watch her in anything. I am a massive, massive fan of hers. And she plays such a just a a, a critical role in this movie that that really comes out obviously to, to play in the end and and just just owns it. She doesn't she doesn't come across as being in need or anything else. Her no. character and Matthew McConaughey's Mickey. So Mickey and Roz, they are equals. They are power they are a true power couple. They are amazing. And she just exudes that on screen. And it's awesome. It's awesome to see her. Yeah, and she, I mean, she runs her own legitimate business. And every time Mickey's Um, around, she's like, get out of here. Like, this is my world. Yeah, so she, which I thought this is great. She runs a high-end garage uh, mechanic shop um, that works on high-end vehicles for the (laughs) high-end of London. And And like 99% of the mechanics are all women. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's even I don't I don't remember if they gave a name of the garage, but it was something 
it, it was something all you know everything had to do with that it was like it was Feminine, women owned yeah. women run um the one guy that they have there is off um trying some of mickey's weed yeah. <laughs> he's supposed to be working um but she's absolutely you know part of this power couple and he like i said he's got this you know she has a legitimate business and again more reason why they have this reputation to uphold because she's serving servicing high-end clientele it is her deal and it's not a front it's a legitimate business that she runs she benefits a little bit she gets money or and free parts as as you know um part of a, a deal to, to try and woo mickey from um from dry eye but um yeah she's just like even the scenes where she is in danger, you don't really feel like she's in danger, and you're pretty confident that she's going to handle herself given her situation. Well, and, and we'll get to that in a little bit. It's probably the part I hate the most, and this is one of the reasons. Yeah. She, she, What I love about the characters is at no point does she need anybody else. Really, no. until the very end, and and that part doesn't bother me so much. It's very specific what bothers me, and we'll get to. It. I just don't want to ruin it. Yeah. But yeah. but you know she she runs this business, and even when she's giving people stuff for free, it isn't like I'm so sorry. No, it's we're gonna get you out of here free of charge, and then she just kind of snaps her fingers, like, more champagne. As she's walking on the move, handling business, she goes up there, sees Mickey dealing, you know, weed with this guy, sends him packing, tells Mickey to get up out of here. But also, you can see her really influencing what's happening in Mickey's storyline, saying, mm -hmm. you need to watch out for this. If people, I love her line, right? If people smell smoke, it's because there's fire. And, and yeah. you know, she, she not only is in control of her world, but really understands his as well and is a genuine contributor and like i said an equal in full control of everything right there's even the scene where she just grabs him by the nuts to kind of yeah, yeah it's sexy <laughs> but it's also to be like i'm in charge and when he's like yeah, his whole thing is any chance like are we gonna get this right. on and she's <laughs> like no uh, you know, yeah. to, and yeah. just fully in control of her business, her body, her every, it's so empowering. It's so awesome to watch. I wanted, I wanted more of her. I wanted more yeah. of, I would watch a spinoff movie of Michelle Dockery and like this women's badass, like, you know, car shop. Like I, I yeah. it's, it's fantastic. Um, yep. but again, I say all that because it'll come into play in just a minute where we talk about the stuff we don't like. Um, mm -hmm. You know, again, we talked about Charlie Hunnam. This is not somebody that I enjoy watching in movies. Um, I thought he was perfect in this. I loved everything yep. he did. You know, we talked about him being calm, collected, every situation. You you brought up the meeting between Dry Eyes and, and Mickey. I, you know, I loved, you know, whether it's, you know, Fletcher you know, seeing the body getting dragged out of, of Ray's house or, or dry eye coming into this meeting. He is just so chill the whole time yep. until he doesn't have to be. And that's what I really like. It's calm, cool, collected. And then it erupts into this badass when he's needed. Like, you know, when they're at the junkie house and then they yeah. have to get these phones from these kids. It's an absolutely incredible performance. I, yeah. I, 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 if there's a movie where I can't say enough good about Charlie Hunnam, the movie's really good because I hate me some Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> I will say, and I haven't, I've stayed away from him in, in movies because I really did love Sons of Anarchy. I've watched the whole series a couple times through. Mm. Um, 
but his native accent might actually be worse than his American accent. I oh, just, that's, that's funny. He, he just doesn't. He he sounds the least British of everyone in this movie. He even sounds less British than Matthew McConaughey, who doesn't even use an accent because he's American. Uh, it's just it was just weird. Uh, but I will <laughs> that's say, if, if there is a perfect crossover character. Um, that you know that that badass of his character of jacks in soa and his you know inherent british nature i think this is that character and it really embodies that idea that you that you brought up before about uh again about um you know the kingsman <laughs> it's just it is he is the embodiment of that idea and uh it was a lot of fun uh, to watch um to see him play that sort of kind of confident badass character again, but with that British eloquence to him was, was, was fun. Yeah. Well, and so then to bring it home to Colin Farrell is spectacular. He's a revelation in this movie. And then, and, and Henry Golding, actually, he immediately sheds this rom-com leading man charisma that he had just built up coming off Mm -hmm. of crazy rich Asians. Uh, I mean, you fully bought him as like a male rom-com love lead you know he's Mm -hmm. charming good looking all this kind of stuff he is immediately fully engrossing and believable as this gross disgusting big bad dry eyes in this movie i mean what a freaking range but i think that um that that rom-com character works really well for his character of dry eye because you get the sense that he's newer on the scene, right? There mm. is the Lord George who's sort of somewhere in this hierarchy, his boss maybe, or you know, a higher up within his crime family. So he he's this kind of young stud. He's got a nickname, um, you know, trying to make a name for himself. Obviously the whole movie plays out where, you know, he's trying to circumvent um Matthew because they're eventually, you know, they're they're in cahoots together. But you know everybody's kind of looking out for themselves and he knows that he can make a name for himself and and you know by taking over mickey's empire um so i think that that works really well for him because he's kind of the young the young pup in this established world um and then going back to con farrell i just i loved um i I loved him too i mean he's the third really gentlemanly character you know but with matthew mcconaughey and charlie hunnam um and i loved his intro scene in the deli you have no idea who he is and you've got these these punks come into the deli and they're causing all these trouble and again he sort of just tries to talk them down he Try again. Violence was his last resort, and he doesn't even necessarily hurt those kids. He disarms them and kind of smacks them around a little bit, but he doesn't kill them when you know full well that he could. And then tells um, them to come to his out, gym. Yeah, and then when train. they find out who he is, they're like, "Oh, you're the coach," and like, so you get this idea that the coach has this reputation in the streets among people. Um, but even just you know him and his crew wearing these really cool plaid uh, like track suits. I guess they were track suits, but they're just like. There, he was just really cool, um, and he had ample opportunity as that character to to pull some backstabbing stuff. And he knows nothing of Mickey and Ray's business, but when he finds out that his crew has run afoul of them, he's super apologetic and super honorable to them. He owes them nothing, you know. Well, he owes them a lot, but once he pays his debt, he doesn't necessarily owe them anything, but he's very loyal to them. So again, that idea of being a, a gentleman in his way, these are seedy under underbelly people, but they 
have like this these scruples with each other. They're very very gentlemanly. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So I think to bring this home, one more one more thing I really love, and, and that is a nice twist ending. And I say this not because the ending is like something super spectacular. It's really nothing to like write home about as far as a surprise twist goes. Right. But it is enough to just leave you feeling fulfilled and satisfied with a movie that, you know, you pretty much see every next step coming. And, you know, so so basically, like we talked about, Matthew McConaughey has the empire. He's trying to sell it to this character named Matthew. And he's selling it for $400 billion or $400 million or whatever it is, right? $400 million. And so Matthew's goal is to get the price down. So he enlists dry eyes to come in and, you know, essentially rob one of the locations, you know, really make it seem like Matthew's business is in jeopardy and it's going to cost a lot to bring it back up. And he wants to get the price down. This is all the stuff that Fletcher's is thinking he's catching and is giving uh, Michael a heads up about. Right. We're going to say Mickey because I think I'm mixing up the Matthews and the Michaels. <laughs> so so Fletcher thinks he has found all this and discovered all this. And he's giving Mickey the heads up, the dry eye and, and all these you know gangsters are essentially working together to either drive the price super low or just outright take the business from him. Mm-hmm. Subcontext, dry eye is trying to screw over Matthew and basically be like, you're not going to run this company. I'm not helping you. I'm in charge now. So all this stuff is kind of playing out. None of it is overly shocking. None of it is overly surprising. There's this kind of throwaway scene, which it isn't fully a throwaway, but you talked about it, where M- Mickey sends Ray to go find a Lord's daughter who's fallen into heroin and gone off with these junkies you can kind of see the scene on face value as sort of establishing the trust that the lords have in mickey also understanding that he's a resource for them in more than just money he's got these underworld connections and if their daughter is tied up in this underworld he's somebody who can go find out where she is maybe bring her home you know and and mickey will do that because he is also grateful that these lords provide him with this land and all this other stuff right so there's there's a lot of stuff in there that you can kind of see the purpose of the scene there's a throwaway moment though where they go to save this girl and they end up accidentally killing one of the guys in the apartment he falls off the balcony so the big twist at the end is that as everything comes to a close right fletcher's surprises are not really surprises seemingly at first because mickey and ray are in full and complete control they know exactly what matthew's up to they know exactly what dry eyes up to they're systematically just removing everyone from the equation and and it gets to where basically mickey has all the ends tied up then he gets into the car and it turns out that the kid they accidentally killed has connections his father is a is a russian mobster and they're pissed that his son is dead and so they're now going to kill mickey and this is information that fletcher has because he gave it to them because he's trying to play another mob group against each other to just keep cashing out thinking basically that one you know everyone's going to kind of kill each other and he's going to cash in all these little checks and and then be scot-free he's so confident and so now that's the surprise twist because this is the first time that Mickey and Ray have something happen that they didn't see coming. What's yep. interesting, and it, and it's good on two levels, right? So number one, 
it's a fine enough twist. I kind of think about it as like, you know, when someone asks you a question and you know the answer, you but you can't think of it. And then it isn't until somebody else says it where you're like, oh, chicken nuggets. I knew that. I knew that. Right. You know, right. even though, but then that's like the classic time when then the other person's like, you didn't know. Why didn't you say it? You didn't know. But, you know, right. deep down, you knew that you knew it. So you don't really see it coming. You kind of forget about it, but everything's right there in front of you. So when you see that the Russians are coming after Mickey and Ray, it's immediately, oh, I knew it, but you didn't know it, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. So, and it's really good because of that, but also this is the first time that we see Mickey and Ray in real time. This is not Fletcher telling the story. This is really happening. And all of a sudden, Mickey, while cool enough, like he's not like he's screaming, crying or whatever, but in him and but you see Ray for the first time be frantic. He is yeah. frantically calling Mickey. He's grabbing yeah. a gun. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Mickey sits in the car and is kind of resigned to his fate. But he, but the confidence is gone. The calm yeah. acceptance is there, but the yeah. confidence is gone. And so all of a sudden what makes it so good is that those moments of these characters being so real, having real fear, real like this realization that they don't have this figured out. Yeah. Now it just so happens that characters, you know, Colin Farrell and his boys step in and they help take care of it and tie up that last final loose end and everything's well and good. Yeah. But it is such a good ending. Well, so I have a question about this part. So at this point, we've gotten this reveal that Fletcher has sold this information to the Russian oligarch. And mm. the Russians have had one failed hit attempt on Mickey, which is the opening scene that we saw in this movie. And um, you do, that's another, you see that play out and, and they're like, who is yeah. this guy? Neither one of them yeah. know who this is. But you right. don't even, you're on to the next moment. Right, because right. Roz is in trouble, and so you yeah. you just let it go. So, at this point, Colin Farrell's coach is leaving Ray's estate after they have kind of outed Fletcher and said, like, you know, they they show Fletcher that they got, um, they got to his boss, right? I think at this point. Oh, I think um, I know what your question is. Go and on. Colin Farrell gets a phone call from his crew of young boxing guys and they say hey we're going to take care of that mickey problem for you right and he doesn't quite understand what that means but they're saying they're going to go take out mickey for him because they think they need to be released from some debt which colin farrell has cleared at this point and just so happened that they don't end up <laughs> killing mickey because they end up killing the Russians who have taken Mickey's car and are currently holding him hostage, right? Ooh, that's interesting. Oh, Tim, how could you do this to us? Because you're going to leave us on a real big question mark here that I can <laughs> only answer by rewatching. Because, so I thought what you were going to say is that when they say we're going to take care of the Mickey problem or we're going to take care of this Mickey thing or, or whatever the situation is, so my question was, how do they know the Russians are coming after him? Yes, yeah, I think, to kill I, think the... it's, I think it's the other way around. I think they are feeling that their their coach, who they obviously respect, right? In the scenes that we have seen, like you know, 
coach snaps their finger his fingers and they are at attention in line like right. there's that one scene where he calls attention to their his crew leader and they all stopped doing what they were doing in the gym and he was like i didn't did i call you guys you keep doing what you were doing so i wonder what i got from that was that they I think you're felt so like, right but it was just, so that was another twist in there right so like all of a sudden they're going after mickey but by going after mickey they actually save mickey <laughs> You know what? And that is so in line with like Snatch and Lockstock. I think you're spot on right. And I want to rewatch okay. it. And, and we'll talk a little bit about it in, in our in next week's Rewind episode. Okay. Be, and we'll kind of bring this to a close because I think you're exactly right. And I think what would happen because they even show like the door kind of open with him escape and you don't see Mickey escape. Mm-mm. And they almost leave it implied like, did Mickey get out? Because now Fletcher is telling the story again because <laughs> right. now he's pitching the movie. Right. And, and yeah. then we find out that he did make it. But I think you're absolutely right. I think the the gangster boxer kids are like, you know what? We're just going to kill Mickey. He's not going to keep using our coach to make us do all this bad stuff. And, and in turn end up saving him. And because coach saves Charlie Hunnam... Yeah. I think it's all square. And then the coach is like, yeah. do not mess with Mickey. We're done. We're all good. Just go about your lives. And they would listen to that. And then Mickey would live on happily ever after. Um, and that's the other it thing. Would- that is how it ends too. Mickey does not sell the business and he keeps it. Yeah. And he ends yeah. up getting more money from Matthew and, right. and not giving anything back in return. And it's all awesome and bad. And like I said, it's not really crazy. Because even now, I didn't catch that. But it okay. doesn't surprise me when you say it. It's one of those like, oh, I did see that, right? But it's right. just enough where you feel satisfied. This movie yeah. is fun, and then it is satisfying at the end. And it's awesome. Yeah, because I think just to, to, to kind of close this out, I could have lived without that opening scene. Because I just, mm. I, I don't. It, it sort of set you up for something. I felt like they, you know, they were setting you up for what ends up helping with these twists and it wasn't necessary i don't think um but the fact that the rest of this is so obvious right it it is that sensation of like i knew this i had this pegged this is so obvious but these like like rapid fire kind of twists right in that those five minutes of like oh nope the russians are coming oh wait no now these other guys are off to kill mickey and now wait wait, they killed the russian like that just made the fact that I had most of this pegged going through and not that they do not that that guy Richie goes to great lengths to bury, you know, this, this subplot. It's obvious everyone's working together. Um, but it, it just makes those rapid fire twists work better. And it's just like, oh, okay, there's it like that. That's all right. There's a payoff to this, yeah. um, which was, which was more fun. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you nailed that, Tim. That's awesome. That just made me love the movie even more. <laughs> Um, cause I think my whole thing was that kind of, that felt like a plot hole. I was like, how do they know the Russians are going after Mickey and they don't, they were going after Mickey too. And it, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's exactly in line with like vintage Richie. So that's, Makes that's sense. fantastic. All right. Okay. All right. So to bring this home, there's one thing I hated and we, and I alluded to it a little bit at the beginning and it is, there isn't a lot, right? But the, the only thing I would say is this sexual assault scene against Roz. Right. So, so basically, but Mickey goes into this bar, sits down 
and orders a, a pint and an egg and then you know apparently gets his brains blown out brains blown out by what is a stranger come to find out a russian hitman but charlie hunnam has come in the back seen this about to play out kills the russian before mickey can be killed and I had this feeling from the beginning that he didn't die. I just, I right. don't know why. I was just like, eh, it seemed even halfway through this movie. I was like, that's too easy. Right. They, they, these guys are too smart for him to walk into a bar that he clearly operates a lot of business out of and to have his brains blown out like that. It just seemed way too easy. Right. So, so this plays out while Mickey's on the phone with Roz and hears that dry eye is at the shop. And Roz mm-hmm. is now in trouble. And so Mickey's on his way. Now, cut to the shop. Roz is in the office. Dry Eye comes in with two henchmen with him, right? And they basically are like, you're coming with us. We're kidnapping you until we can finalize all this stuff with Mickey. We're extorting him. And, and you know, if he wants you back in one piece, he's going to give us the, the empire for nothing, right? Yeah. And Roz isn't having it. And she pulls out this little gun paperweight thing that Matthew had given them as a sign of goodwill. And it's a two-shotter, <laughs> right? It's and, a little derringer. Right. And so she is just instant badass mode and, yeah. and takes out the two henchmen. As soon as this happens, Dry Eye is like, well, there's your two shots. And goes after her all well and good. Right, starts throwing her around, beating the crap out of her. Not that that's a good thing, but that's in character. You can see that that's what's going to happen, and then he's going to drag her out of there. He is not a gentleman. He's a total mm-hmm. piece of trash, and he would yeah. absolutely beat her about. Mm-hmm. That being said, he immediately goes in to rape her. It's instant, right? Yeah. He slaps her around a little bit, takes one look, and is like, now I'm going to rape you right here in your office. And I guess yeah. where that bothers me is it feels so cheap, Right. He could have just yeah. beat the crap out of her and, and, and dragged her out there, you know, outraged that she's killed his two henchmen. Right. And this and that to me would still feel like it accomplishes the same task while yeah. not making rape such a ready tool in a man's arsenal in movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and it's bothered me for a long time. It happens, you know, I, I watch Outlander with my wife. She loves Outlander. So we watch like the first four seasons and it gets like episode two. I turn to her and I'm like, does everybody just rape each other every episode? Mm. It even gets to where the men are raping. I mean, at least then like some men are getting raped. Like I'm tired right. of just watching women get raped. Right. You know, it's right. just horrific. And so it's like. But it bothers me. It's like it's it just in in this movie in particular, it just feels like such a cheap instrument to kind of get this across. You know, and I feel too her kind of holding her own like we saw it in, you know, the scene with James Gandolfini and Patricia Arquette in Mm -hmm. um, True Romance. Yeah. At no point is he going to rape her. He's just wrecking her and she's holding yep. her own. Like it pays so much respect to the genuine badass that this woman is. Why not do that same thing for Roz, who you've built up as this awesome woman? Right. Yeah. And that he doesn't see her as a woman that he just needs to rape. But instead, she's like a foe of equal level that needs to be dealt with like he would deal with anybody. You know, if Ray had been in that scene and Ray was, you know, had killed his two guys with two shots, there would have been an epic fight. And I bet you a million dollars dry eyes doesn't try to immediately rape him. You know, yeah. like, why can't we give her that same due? And I just immediately I was just like, why is this happening? And then now the badass thing, Mickey comes in. 
puts two in dry eye and then exacts deeper revenge against Matthew for this playing out mm -hmm. against his wife, right? Nothing is personal. It's all business until you made it personal and you put hands on my wife. And that yep. still could have played out with him walking in and dry eye just wrecking her. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I'm just so tired. I'm so tired of the rape thing. It's horrific. It's a terrible yeah. thing that happens to women in absolute real life. And it's something that people need to be aware of. But it we shouldn't just make it like it, it ends up being this non issue in the movie. Like it's just this yeah. catalyst for the film, which just not only cheapens the movie, but cheapens the real horrific nature of this. And it, I'm just I'm tired of it. I'm just tired. of Yeah, it. I hate I mean, it to to your point about it cheapening them that cheapening the movie that it, it ruins a really good scene leading up to that right you know like you said that her badassery knowing that she's got this little gun that they've joked about this whole time like they're gonna go to jail for what, five years because owning a gun is you know uh illegal in uh in england um yet you know charlie hunnam walks around with a machine gun under his it's, his, his top that's coat. such a good scene um, though <laughs> you know it's like but like there were they're joking about oh this is the gun we're gonna go to jail for and it's a little gold-plated two-shot derringer with little tiny bullets um and you know, all i could think about during the scene is one scene from the simpsons that is stuck uh in my head uh where i think it's bart and nelson are are reenacting Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, I think, and they're mm -hmm. in a saloon and they're drinking uh, 3X whiskey and a fight breaks out and everybody starts shooting Derringers and the little bullets are just bouncing off of everybody. And I think Nelson <laughs> says, them Derringer bullets are mighty, or mighty weak or something like that, or powerful weak. And so they play that up in this scene where he's like, you know, there's three guys, she's got the gun she's able to load the gun because she plays it off that it's candy in a little box and she loads it with the two shots. And the first guy she shoots, there's a long dramatic pause there where he's like, ah, oh, she shot me right in the forehead. Yeah, and he he's touches it. it. Yeah. And he's like, am I dead? Am I like, is it just under my skin? And then like, then he keels over like there's dead. enough and you're just like uh and everybody's just sort of waiting to see what happened and then she shoots the next guy and he drops immediately right so that whole badass point of the fact that like she knows she has two shots she makes those two shots count to even the playing field but then that's null and void because he's just gonna bend her over and it and it she kind just, of and she doesn't really fight it she just yeah. kind of does it and then immediately sees her husband is like oh hey love and then, yeah. and then Dry Eye looks up and, like, quivers with fear because yeah. now he knows he's about to... But it's like, I don't know, just... It was something about the whole scene. And, and like I said, I'm so sick and tired of rape being, like, the cheap yeah. element that, like, gets us to the next thing. And yeah. you just didn't need it. You didn't need it. Yeah. And, it just, and it just stood out even more as, like, ugh. Absolutely. You know, it just really bothered me. So I could have done without that. But otherwise, fantastic. <laughs>
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, final thoughts and ratings. Let's wrap this up. Um, Again, I just said it. Love this movie. It's fun. It's funny. It's engaging. Uh, The characters are all dripping with charisma. They're very well developed. Uh, As you bounce through all the narratives, you're never upset that you left one character to follow the next because you're Mm -hmm. genuinely glad to see each storyline play out and see each character have their moment on screen. In fact, you just keep wishing for more and more of each of them. It, this is Richie, Guy Richie back to doing what he does best. You know, there's a lot of hate out there for this one. Uh, I don't understand it. Honestly, if you like Guy Ritchie, you're gonna like this movie. And if you don't like Guy Ritchie, then why are you watching this movie? You know, like, I, I just, I don't understand where the hate's coming from. You know, start to finish, I thought this was a blast. I thought McConaughey was so awesome he was just so cool in this you know hugh grants a revelation the storytelling is unique enough to make it stand out from a crowd i i give this movie eight out of ten eight out of ten yeah i i think that's absolutely fair Uh, i will i will go with you on that yeah like i say it's just it's a different you know we're familiar with the 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 gangster movie you know it, it it's not a foreign concept but this story is different and this setting is different and it's exploring an area which i thought was really cool was this idea of like it's a matter of time before weed is legal like you know he's chosen to make his mickey's chosen to make his millions in weed and now there's this idea that hey things are gonna change and i've got a leg up on it they referenced the um prohibition and how when prohibition was lifted it took years it took like five to ten years or something after the repeal of prohibition for the legal market to catch up to the legal demand and they're gonna kind of nip that in the bud because they're gonna they have the infrastructure already set up they just transition right yeah Yeah. (laughs) um (laughs) And so it's it's a really interesting um, you know way to set this. It's an interesting dilemma to have. You know, he wants to get out. He wants to retire. But there's also this other thing that we've mentioned. You know, he just he he can't go legitimate with this because of his past. But not just that and, too. There's a line from Michelle Dockery from Roz earlier on where she's she's hesitant to have him retire, and he's like, yeah. "Don't you want to see more of me?" And she's like, "I don't want you just putzing around here. I know yeah. you. Like right. he really he is the lion." And if there's yeah. no, there's no, well, I don't know. Lions a bad example, which is fascinating because really the male lions are useless, right? In that <laughs> in that analogy, right. and rightfully, Roz is the badass, right? She's the yeah, one doing right. the hunting. But the right. idea being that, like, without the fight to fight, what's he gonna really do with himself? He likes the idea yeah. of being retired, but you know, right, right, right. Um, so it's you know you set that there. Um, it's it's just an interesting backdrop that you give in the story. It reminds me a little bit of the of. Uh, Red Dead Redemption when it came out, this this idea of the Old West bumping up against the 1900s, so that way of life is kind of dying out. Mm. Um, so he's got that that uh, that backdrop in there, which again, you could have made this about heroin, you could have made it about something deeper, but just it being a movie about weed, which we've generally, you know, we understand now is a pretty harmless drug you know like if you it's you know up there with alcohol it's not gonna um it makes him money but he's also doesn't have to feel guilty about the way he makes money um so it's just it's it's different enough in that and the characters are different and the framing is different that 
you know, maybe you feel like you've seen this movie, but you haven't seen this version of this movie. And I absolutely would like to see more of of these characters. I'd love to see more of this. I don't. I, I, it doesn't need a sequel. There's no reason for a sequel. But Agreed. I'd love to see more of these interactions. And and everything is just the way it played out was fun. Um, it just acting was absolutely spot on for everybody. And I can't agree more. You just wanted to see more of everybody. And I don't think anybody had enough screen time for, for the stuff. And even just some of the filler scenes are so much fun. Uh, you got me thinking before when you mentioned about all the British land being public and that posing a problem <laughs> to uh, Mickey starting his operations. And he rattles off when he's telling, bringing Matthew to his grow site about all the reasons why you can't grow on public land. He's like, we got, you know, parish councils and bird watchers and hikers and you know all these names for different groups of people that just tripes around through the english countryside it was hilarious yes. and it was just you know the the forethought and the things that he's had to contend with it was just those moments were sprinkled in there um were light and fun um but also really highlighted how smart he is yes he's absolutely. not just a pot dealing gangster he is a yeah. very savvy businessman yeah and again, I've beaten this to death, but everything is just spot on to really fit the title. They, they, they're at the end of the day, they're gentlemen about this entire business, and uh, it's just—it's it, definitely fun, um, definitely worth a watch. I will definitely watch it again. I've recommended it to to a couple people already. Um, definitely watch it. Check it out. It, you won't regret it. I love it. Yep. All right, guys. Well, that brings this episode, The Gentleman, to a close. Hope you loved it. Hope you liked the movie as much as we did. Um, and obviously, hope you liked this episode. The uh, So our next deep dive, so our next episode is going to be a rewind. So no homework required. But our yep. next deep dive in two weeks, uh, we are going to mix it up a little bit. And we're going to do another romance film. Um, yeah. So we are going to do a movie called About Time. And About Time is available now on Netflix. So you can check it out for free there. We've made you buy a couple. We've made you rent a couple. We're going to give you guys a freebie this time. And uh, About Time is, is, a, is a romance comedy. You know, not, not really a rom-com per se. But, uh, but anyways, starring Domino Gleason and uh, Rachel McAdams. And a bunch of other people that you're totally going to... Bill Nye is in there and, and a bunch of mm -hmm. folks. Um, so check that one out and then join us again next week for the Rewind, but in two weeks where we do a deep dive on About Time. Other than that, thank you guys so, so much for all the love on Instagram. Follow us there. Tell your friends. Bring people there. Um, we're posting a lot of great content. You guys are interacting with a ton of it, which is awesome. But don't forget any recommendations, any questions, anything you want us to talk about, uh, shoot it to us we would love to have these dialogues with you guys so yeah. you know if there's something you want us to watch whether it's a deep dive type thing or even just something quick that we talk about in the rewind we are happy to do it and excited to do it um so keep chatting with us there keep engaging there uh loving putting that stuff up and and thrilled to have you guys following so on instagram we are at paused reviews you can check out our website pausedreviews.com if you need links to where you can subscribe and sign up for podcasts and all the places that we are um if you need to contact us, there's a contact page on there. If you need to email us, pausereviews at gmail.com. Whatever, we're here for you. Um, yeah. Other than that, I think that about sums it up. You got anything else? 
yeah, I, definitely let us know if there's anything you want to watch. I just got a free year of Apple TV, their streaming service, free with a new phone. So if anybody out there is watching anything of note on there, I know Tom Hanks has got a new World War II movie on there that I'm going to check out. Um, that's a new avenue of streaming stuff that, that I have available to me. So if anybody has any recommendations on that, anything I should check out there. But yeah, another another avenue for streaming. So let me know if there's anything good on there. Otherwise, I'm just going to roll the dice. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. So that's about it. As always, thank you so much for joining. And we will catch you on the next one. I'm your boy, Frank. This is Tim. And we'll see you when we see you. Peace. Peace.